Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so today on the show, we are kind of pulling back the curtain on ski testing. And to help us out here, we are joined by George Michelson, who is the CEO and co-founder of The Ski Monster, and Matt Berkowitz, who is a longtime veteran of the ski industry and the current brand director of The Ski Monster. And I think you all are really going to enjoy this conversation because you have seen the way that we have done things at Blister, but maybe you aren't totally sure why we do things the way we do at Blister. And I think having George and Matt talk about their own experience with various ski tests will give you a better sense of how things often go down in our industry, and it might provide some really helpful context to help you understand, again, why we set things up so differently at Blister. And I should say, and this might not come as a surprise to many of you, you know when I start talking about gear testing, I tend to get pretty fired up, especially when I think that a lot of the way that our industry works, well, that we're not maybe doing it the right way. So yeah, there are some rants in this episode, and I probably wouldn't suggest that you listen to this episode with small, impressionable children around. Sorry, small, impressionable children. But as I have said before, if some of you might find a little bit of the language to be kind of offensive, I still really find it offensive to basically be lying to the community of skiers out there about all of this really expensive product and not putting in the time to actually test it thoroughly or even constructing these tests in such a way where the tests end with the production of meaningful information. So we can all find different things to be offended by, right? Today's episode of Gear 30 is presented by Avocado, which is the manufacturer of mattresses, the Avocado Green Mattress, among others, and a bunch of bedding furniture and pillowcases and comforters and the like. And there's even some avocado apparel now. We have been talking about avocado a good bit on Gear 30, and we also have this write-up on the site called Jonathan's Sleep Experiment. It's actually going pretty well. I've been doing good the last several days, so I'm kind of proud of myself. But you can check out Jonathan's Sleep Experiment. There is a link to it in the show notes of these episodes. You can also find it on our website. And I keep updating that article weekly. As I am adding new things that I am reading or as I have more time and impressions on some of the avocado gear that I've been using. And if you haven't read it yet, I did a pretty good write up on the avocado city bed frame. There's some useful information in there, maybe a bit of fun information in there too. So check that out. And you can also go to avocadogreenmattress.com, take a look at their range of products. And again, I always encourage everyone to dig around a bit to look at some of the sustainability initiatives of Avocado. It is very impressive. Now, another thing I want to say, we are back riding chairlifts and skiing again. I am recording this introduction on Thursday night, Thanksgiving evening. We just had our second day 
making turns at CBMR. It is so good to be clicking into skis again. And this has us thinking again about the upcoming Blister Summit, which goes down this coming February 20th through the 27th. And we are getting increasingly excited for that event. J-Bob, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, is telling me he is going to be there. So what are you doing? You got to make your way to Crested Butte at least for the summit, if not sooner. And we do have this article called Getting Here, Gunnison and Crested Butte. Take a look. There is a lot of useful information in there. We will include a link to that article in the show notes of this episode. And the other thing is there are going to be more flights into Gunnison being added in December, which is now less than a week away. So check out the article for all the up-to-date flight information and a whole bunch of other information that'll be helpful as you make your way to Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, one last thing I have to say here. We are eight ratings of Gear 30 away from hitting 500 ratings, which if you are a Gear 30 aficionado, you know that that means we will then have greenlit the making of our Blister Crash Course Snowblade video. We are only eight ratings away. So you all have been doing a very good job. There's clearly a lot of enthusiasm for us to make this video. So if you are a fan of this podcast, Drop that rating in Apple Podcasts and let's put an end to my monogamous relationship with skis that are taller than I am. I think it's time. I think it might be time. In fact, I was skiing with Luke Coppa today and we were talking about it and we are freaking ready. So let's cross that 500 ratings threshold and good job to everybody who has left a rating. Strong work there. And with that, let's go ahead and talk gear testing with the folks from the Ski Monster. Here we go. All right. Well, I am here with Matt and George. George, why don't you tell us the origin story of how you met Matt? Last time you were on Gear 30, we kind of got the origin story with you and Eric. Now we need a George and Matt origin story. Sure. So, um, we, uh, we met Matt when we were in the process of opening, um, our store here in Boston. Uh, Matt was working for Fisher at the time. And, uh, when we were trying to get product into the store, which is something that we went over in that last podcast. So if you're listening, listen to the first one on, you know, the whole story about opening a retail store, but we met with Matt to go over, you know, what the ski monster, um, was what, and really understand more about what Fisher's products were, what would make sense for us. And that was up at their office in New Hampshire. And we, you know, had various phone calls about how stuff was going. And then come maybe February of 2015, that first winter that we were open, I got an email and Matt was like, hey, do you want to come to a focus group in Stowe, Vermont to test prototypes for skis that are going to be coming out in a few years? I'm like, what? Well, that sounds, that sounds pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I'm down. He's like, great. Yeah. Um, just, uh, give me this info. We're going to book your hotels, all that stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm getting put up somewhere. Like this is pretty sick. And then I get up to Stowe, Vermont. And of course I'm the first one there and I go to the bar. I'm nervous. 
have way too many whatever loggers at the bar. Then uh, Matt shows up, you know, ready to rock. And the next morning woke up and we had to do a, we had to test skis. And Matt kind of showed me the ropes of that. And I was completely thrown into it, man. I was pretty, I was green. I was nervous and giving opinions on skis that don't even exist yet in front of people that only do that. Um, I mean, that's like their job is creating these products and apparently they think my opinion matters. And I'm like, dude, I, I dude, I was terrified at like, so when you go to these focus groups, it's a standard, like U shaped table. There's a PowerPoint in the middle about the direction. They're like, yeah, George, what did you think? And I'm like, green, like, I don't, know I, I don't even know what to say, you know? And, uh, then honestly we did uh, over the next few years, uh, Matt and I were at, you know, various magazine tests together. I got invited to more focus groups in Jackson Hole, Park City. He invited me on a really cool one to Russia, but I couldn't go because I was already had a trip plan where I was going to propose to my wife and I couldn't cancel that. So get your yeah. priorities straight, George. <laughs> my God. Yeah. I guess we'll forgive you for skipping a Russia ski trip to propose, but I don't know. It's kind of a minus one. I'm kind of giving you a minus one for that, to be honest. Dude, it was a heli trip. Ugh. It was a heli trip. A yeah. heli trip in Russia. Yeah. I mean... You're welcome, Kara. Yeah. You really are welcome, Kara. Not just Russia, Kamchatka, Russia, which, you know, that's that's probably a whole nother, a whole nother podcast. But, you know, truly once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, my biggest takeaway so far is, Kara, I don't know... If you've married wisely or wise people, that's mostly my takeaway from this, but um, whatever. I mean, Matt Berkowitz, first of all, welcome to Gear 30. I, it's somehow wild that this is your first time on the podcast, but uh, I'm glad we've gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stoked to be here. Obviously, you and I uh, have years of history when I was yeah. working at Fisher. Yep. Um, and obviously have now continued to work together um, as a retailer as well in conjunction with with uh, Blister. So, yeah, we're, we're stoked. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to have you tell people more about your own background. But to be very honest, I mean, the origin story here was when I found out that you were going to Ski Monster that's actually the thing that really kind of piqued my interest. Like I knew of the ski monster, but given the number of conversations that you and I have had about gear, um, by the way, you personally boot fit one of my all time favorite boots. I don't know if you remember this, but, um, so like, yep, yep. And you know, so it's like, okay, I've actually had direct experience with how you, you know, go through a boot fitting process. We've talked about gear for years. And when I was like, okay, I know this guy, if he's going over to this operation, let's, let's dig in and learn more about, you know, what's going on over here. So that's a bit of our backstory, but tell people a bit more about your career through the ski industry. Yeah. And I, and it's funny that you brought that up because I, I think I still have uh, certain people that to this day are a little bit confused at at the move from working for a manufacturer to to a retailer. But I think, you know, somebody yourself or somebody that knows the Ski Monster and the business strategy and the crew here and the culture, I think it's much more understandable. Um, 
which is great. But, you know, as George said, as you said, you know, I spent 15 years at, at Fisher, um, and started there, you know, as a graphic designer and a team manager to, to manage the free ride athletes and, you know, over the years and, you know, developing closer relationships with the Austrians, you know, Fisher's still a, a family owned independent company, which is really special. Um, so, you know, develop those, those relationships and kind of worked, worked my way up, you know, and worked my way up through the, the marketing department, um, and then worked in product as well. So at one point was managing the, the Alpine product as well as the Alpine marketing, um, obviously in, in close working relationships with the, the engineers over in Austria, um, which I think is, you know, it's something interesting that a lot of the quote unquote product managers, you know, in the, in the U S um, obviously they're not, they're not engineers, you know, they're not physically building the products, but they are reporting trends and everything to the actual engineers and then working through, as George mentioned, you know, the process of, of bringing a ski to market, you know, from an idea or, Hey, maybe we're missing a certain ski or, or category of skis in our lineup, bringing those to life. Um, so as, as Fisher grew and, and, you know, as there was some more employees, um, you know, I finished my career there overseeing, uh, the marketing for the Alpine Nordic and hockey divisions. Uh, we were able to hire a, an actual product manager just to manage the product at the time. Um, we had a new president there and he just said, you know, this is, this is way, way too many emails from way too many people in Austria every day to keep up with, you know, cause over there there's two ski product managers, two boot product managers, a touring product manager, um, you know, and when it's one person getting emails about all these projects constantly, it's tough to do, you know, the, the marketing part. So, um, as I said, I, I finished up there the last few years of my career at Fisher was, was really just focused on, on marketing. Obviously if sales and product and marketing aren't working together, it's not going to be successful anyway. So, um, you know, everybody was working pretty tightly together. But as George said, you know, we met uh, pretty early on as they were kind of building out Ski Monster. And I, I had heard of it just through, you know, obviously we were based in New Hampshire. They were in Boston, had kind of known their, their path of retail. Yeah, I mean, really, since that, that day they, they came up to the office and kind of pitched what they were doing. Again, you know, the, the previous podcast kind of goes over the, the origins of Ski Monster. But, you know, they were really going to have kind of a stronghold on the, on the Boston market, you know? Um, so it really made sense for us. It was a time we were also launching the vacuum boots, which you just talked about earlier. So they were also interested in that and it just made sense to partner at the time, you know, and, and have some, uh, have some exposure in Boston. You know, I'd known kind of the, the culture that they were trying to build. I'd known that they were strong skiers. That's, you know, in part why it was like, Hey, George, you know, you got to come to this focus group. I think, the skis we're developing, which were the Ranger skis at the time, are really going to fit in well, you know, with, with what you're putting together. And as George said, you know, it, it's it it can be intimidating. I mean, he he walked into, you know, a group of Austrians that had come over, you know, for 
for these meetings to do, you know, we did some East Coast focus groups, some Midwest focus groups and some Far West focus groups. And then sometimes it was you'd have one somewhere in the country and you'd be inviting key dealers from, you know, all regions. But, you know, the the, the one in Stowe was a was a really important one. So, you know, it was it, he definitely got thrown into the fire. Uh, but honestly, that was kind of what started our our personal relationship as well. And then that turned into you know, these guys coming to, to powder week and doing some testing with powder magazine. Um, and then realizing that, you know, hearing his feedback on that Ranger collection, you know, was like, okay, let's, let's get these guys involved with, with some more of these, you know, moving forward. Um, and it was, it was very clear to me early on that ski monsters business was a lot different than a lot of the other, you know, retailers in the country. So it's, it, it's also really good to have, those opinions from multiple, not only multiple regions, but, you know, some, some shops are focused more on kids skis and season lease and package prices. And, um, you know, at the time Fisher as a brand was not necessarily focused on, you know, the lower price point stuff. So it, 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 it was a good fit to, to get these guys involved and our relationship just kind of grew from there. So we're going to be talking quite a bit about gear testing in this conversation We've already sort of talked a little bit about that here and kind of some of the origin story stuff. But before we dive into gear testing, why don't you just give us, George, a bit of an update on what's going on at Ski Monster today? So we're recording this. It's mid-November. And, um, you know, what are you guys doing right now? How are things going? What should people know about the Ski Monster operation? Um, so us, like many stores last season, went to appointment only. Um, COVID was a bit of the catalyst for that. We knew we could create a better experience and it really just worked so well. Um, not just for, you know, the consumer having a better experience, um, but really also, um, the staff being able to, uh, manage their days and, you know, honestly, because they weren't available certain days for bookings, they could get out on the hill. I skied more days and tested more skis last season than I have in the last two years. It was incredible. And I couldn't have done that without appointments and none of the rest of the staff could. And that was just super cool. And um, how much uh, easier that made us for just to really write product reviews, um, which we really start doing in uh, March, you know, for all the product pages we carry from, you know, not just skis, boots, bindings, um, or on the board side, but also goggles, jackets, mid layers, base layers. The fact that, you know, we got to test literally everything so much more made it a lot easier. And I think it's made, um, I mean, we upped the ante again on the, uh, experience that people have in store. You're talking to more intelligent people, which has mm -hmm. been, I mean, what's wrong with that? Weird. And we're having more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it was funny. Matt and I were talking a few days ago, and he was the one who was like, we should talk about gear testing in particular. And, you know, I, I think like, look, we've been doing our thing at Blister coming up on 11 years now. And sometimes, uh, you know, we're maybe understandably so focused on like, we know what we do. We know how we do things. We don't frankly care how anybody else does things. It's like, yeah. we have our rationale. And Matt was like, I think we should talk about gear testing. Cause he's like, I still think people don't really maybe get it. 
the differences on how maybe one media outlet does things versus how we do things versus what you guys are up to. And I actually was like, that's actually really interesting because um, I think I operate sometimes in a world where like one, I mean, like I think the way we do things is a really smart, proper way of doing stuff. But I sometimes forget that a lot of people maybe aren't that clear on how we're doing stuff. Don't really understand the differences on what others are doing. And so, yeah, I mean, I was like, yeah, let's chop it up about gear testing. And along the way, I mean, George, I think you just articulated well by going to this appointment only schedule. You're like our own crew is actually getting more time on the mountain, spending more time on this gear, you know, doing these, you know, doing your own reviews and write-ups. And I guess that's our mission today. I don't know, Matt, to throw it to you, do you want to talk a bit about how a lot of the rest of the industry was doing things or maybe still does stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I always found it really interesting when, when I was at Fisher, when, you know, the time of the time of year, late summer, early fall, when buyer's guides would, would come out and, you know, maybe Fisher or certain brands or skis would do extremely well in, in one media outlet and not in another. And, you know, it, it was always really confusing to a lot of people. So I think, you know, in, in my, in my previous position, it was, it was hard to create too many waves. And, and, and I think I, I probably, you know, Jonathan, you know me well, George knows me well. I, I probably created maybe a little too many within, within the industry in regards to, to magazine tests. But I think um, it was all for the benefit of the end consumer and making sure that, you know, they were reading about an, an honest, realistic review about these products. You know, at the end of the day, they're the ones shelling out thousands of dollars for, for these products. And you know what? They deserve to be, you know, hear the truth on, on, on how these ski, you know? Um, so it, you know, when, when, when I came here, these guys had already kind of started down that, that path a little bit. I mean, George and Eric and, and Andrew and a number of staff members had gone to powder magazine tests, um, free skier magazine tests. So they had, they had kind of seen how some of the media outlets had done it. And Jonathan, you know this. George knows this as well. I mean, I'm not blowing smoke for Blister just because I'm on this podcast. But I always thought that, that Blister did a really good job providing in-depth, honest reviews about products. And it was because, um, for, for a couple of reasons, you know, A, you spent more than, more than one day or one run on the products. You tested them throughout the season. You tested them through a ton of conditions. And you also weren't taking advertising money right. from any of the manufacturers. Right. Which... Still it, don't. It's legit. Like it or not is a factor, you know, and, and media outlets can deny it, you know, as much as they want, but it, 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 it does it does play a factor. So, you know, as far as gear testing goes, I think, I think if we, if I do go back to, you know, all those, all those tests that I went to, you know, for years and years and years, and there was a lot of times that, that, that I fought for certain things that I thought, you know, again, would give the end consumer a much more realistic, you know, review of, of how skis are skiing. There's so many aspects that go into this. The, the test crew is a huge one. You know, certain magazines, and I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but, you know, certain magazines or media use 
you know, skiers who are all X racers and PSIA instructors and which, which is great because they're, they're amazing skiers, but they're not necessarily who majority of, of the market skis like. And they can have biases and allegiances, you know, which, which is another great point. I mean, you majority of those, that caliber of skier has some sort of allegiance to a, a brand, you know, whether they're, whether they're getting free gear from them or whether they're collecting a check from that manufacturer, you know, and it's, I get it. It's hard to get away from that to get maybe a really strong test crew. And then other outlets, you know, had more, you know, depending on where the test was, maybe they had some, some local heroes that were testing or some ski instructors or patrollers. And then powder at one point got to the point where at the time I had said, you know, I, I, I'm feeling like the magazines are, are really disconnected from the end consumer so you know maybe we should get some retailers involved in this in, in the testing process and um powder was great they said okay like why don't you why don't you give us some some top dealers in new england and we'll we'll get them out here to the test and that was again part of kind of how our relationship started growing is let's get some of these guys out to this test and, and then they can get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain as well and that was that was really crazy because i hearing, I guess, Eric and I and all the people that work here, retailers, we're in a, a bubble of sorts. We, When we're talking about skis, we're basically talking about them in how you would sell them to the end user, what, you know, makes that happen. And when you're at these ski tests, you're talking to people that don't do that at all. And unlike the three of us, maybe they're not even testing skis all season long. This is the one time they're doing it. So they're trying to articulate how things feel for the first time ever. And it's fucking hard. You know, it's easier for us to do since it's all we do. But when you're, when it's hard to articulate and you're nervous, just like I was at that first focus group that I ever went to, you're afraid of sounding stupid and going out on a limb and saying what you actually think or feel. And, you know, I'd be in some of these like round table things and people were talking about how some stuff skis and like, what the actual F are you talking about? I know that's what you think they're supposed to ski like, but that's not how it skied. And I skied on that today. I know you're a better skier. I actually watched you ski on it. You crushed it on it, but you're so nervous about how people are going to respond to what you said. And I learned at a, uh, another Fisher Focus Group in Park City, and that was just top dealers in the U.S. It wasn't just like an East-West one. I'm like, you know, I've learned through enough stuff in life. Honesty is the best policy. I'm just going to be honest about how this ski skied. And it was a Ranger 108 in the biggest size in the 188. And I'm like, I don't know. I ski the 182. The 188, I just it's a lot of ski. I, it's, it's like, it's more, it's more ski, not just in length. It's, it's, it's like a pro level ski. And I remember certain dealers looking back at me, like I have four heads and one of the engineers from Austria is like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You're the first retailer to notice that first tester to notice that I'm like six. So it is a different ski, right? He's like totally different ski. Yeah. And I was like, thank God. But you know, that's, that's scary to do. I think George really hit the nail on the head with it's it's tough to come into some of those situations and and be honest 
Um, because at the end of the day, and I remember George saying this to me, and it wasn't it wasn't the first time somebody said it, but by him coming to me and being honest, kind of behind the scenes, I then realized moving forward, it's like, okay, when I invite these dealers, I need to to tell them before everybody gets there in front of the Austrians, in front of it, like you're here for a reason. Okay. These these skis aren't gonna hit the market for another 18 months. We have, this is the first set of prototypes, or maybe it was the second set of prototypes, but I know this is difficult for you guys because, hey, we, we flew you out here, we're putting you up, we're spending this money, but we're doing that for a reason because we want, we want honest feedback from you guys to make sure that we put out the best skis we possibly can. So, and that, and that can be a nerve wracking thing, you know, like, like George said, and it's no different at a magazine test when you have you know, they, they do at the end of the day, certain, certain magazines, um, will have a wrap up at the end of the day. You know, everybody's done their test. They sit around, they all get to talk about what they liked, what they disliked. And it only takes one person to start talking first about a certain ski or a certain brands. And all of a sudden the conversation gets steered, you know, and it's like, but then the other 10 people are scared to speak up and say, well, shit, I actually like that ski. I felt that that yeah. was a versatile ski and you know what, it, it was damp. It did have a lot of energy, whatever. And it, it's really easy for people to get kind of railroaded. And then all of a sudden, you know, potentially a ski that was really good doesn't even make it into a magazine, you yeah. know? Yeah. If I'm, if I may chime in, you guys have said a lot uh, and done a really good job of kind of painting a picture, I think, about some of this. And it's really funny, like, listening to you talk about this. So, a couple things. One, I still find it mind-blowing slash offensive that, like, well, how long is a ski season, right? Like, let's say roughly November through May in a lot of places of the country. Um, why are we doing ski testing over three days? Yeah. There's like well over a hundred potential days. So I'm like, why should I take you seriously? Like you want to be some credible and everybody likes to claim like this is the, we're the best buyer's guide out there or the most honest reviews. I'm like, really? Well, then why are you testing over a couple of days? There's a lot of potential days on snow, right? And so I just categorically rejected that. I was like, I'm going to like rule you out just if that's the way you're doing things. That's absurd. A second thing that you mentioned, George, you're talking about allegiances, right? That certain high level skiers or instructors, these are people that either work for brands or are paid sponsored athletes for brands. It, we've never let a person like that test for us or review for us. We have a number of high level athletes at Blister, but this is how we've always operated. It's like, you know, if we we've had some people where it's like they were not, they didn't have a sponsorship with a brand and they were good enough that they ended up getting a sponsorship with a particular ski brand or a running shoe brand. And then it was like, oh, um, well, cool. Congratulations. But you're not going to review for us anymore not in any product where you have that kind of conflict of interest. And to me, that falls into the basket of just like no shit. But this is not at all how these other many, many other review outlets operate. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, we're so not even close to like, oh, well, you know, reasonable differences of opinion about the best way to test something. This is so beyond stupid. 
Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, I honestly feel the same way with like um, uh, other retailers and just buying equipment. And we really make a point of we really only buy what we think is good and tests well and people are going to like. And, you know, when we don't write an order for something that can raise, you know, some eyebrows at whatever company. And when a, an account like us doesn't place an order, then they're going to make a change and produce better skis. And we found out this last season that was actually part of the uh, uh, why Maverick came out this year. The Atomics line of Maverick. Yeah. So we, for several years, we only bought two models of skis from Atomic, uh, the Ben Shetler 100 and the Ben Shetler 120. And, you know, they Austria is like, how is this retailer that sells an awful lot of skis? Why are they only buying two? Why aren't they buying Vantage from us? And uh, the U.S. office went back to them and was like, they don't like the Vantage skis. They're like, okay, well, we let's fast track this next uh, project. Let's have them involved. And right before COVID, um, we worked with Atomic on Maverick and Maven. And it's kind of cool when you can, if you just stick to your guns and be honest with everybody, you know, you end up getting a better product. Things move along faster. And uh, that was kind of cool to hear. But, you know, I get a lot of flack for not continuing to buy or have a representation of like a whole brand because we had one last year, we had one two years ago. That's great. They're less relevant now. I can't, I'm not going to buy a bunch of stuff that I think sucks and that all the rest of the testers here don't like. Or, you know, dude, every single ski that we brought in, we had to warranty 90% of them. You didn't change anything. I can't, why am I going to have this person go buy a pair of skis? It's going to fall apart after two days. That's shitty. So yeah, just getting on the stuff as much as you possibly can all year round because you're 100% right. You can't just test over a day or two. Um, you know, we really, we start testing a little later than um, you do just because we're um, busier operating a store, but we start testing um, just after uh, Christmas and then it's until the snow's gone. And if Killington has a good year, that's Memorial Day or June. June yeah. Yeah, that's ski testing, man. And, and like you said, Jonathan, you know, the... I guess to I guess to to pull back the curtain a little bit more, and, and and again, this isn't to put you know any of these guys on blast. I mean, it's the unfortunate part for for me is over my tenure there, I, I kind of fought for things to change a little bit because of all these things we're talking about, and just obviously hit hit a bunch of roadblocks because it was like, hey, this is this is how it's been done, uh, this is how it's going to continue to be done because it works, you know, and 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 you know, one year at the time there was a there was a a media outlet that that only let you enter skis based on your market share. Okay, so and and these are based off of numbers by a by a third party who only took a very small sampling of all the retailers in the country. And at the time, that's what they're defining as market share. That report. Yep. That's crazy. So at the time, you know, Fisher being a you know smaller independent company was was not super well distributed across the country and and at the time you know we didn't sell to uh like a sports authority or any of these big box stores with multiple locations they were very focused on uh the independent retailer which is great but the sampling that this third-party company was doing was taking 
numbers from majority of dealers that Fisher wasn't in. So I get the email or I get the phone call from somebody at the media outlet. Hey, you get to enter three skis into the test this year. But if you do really well, you get an additional ski next year. On the flip side, if you do poor, we're going to pull one. But and, for, for context, I mean, how many skis are in a collection? Just for context. So if you do three, how many skis would you want to enter into a test? Uh, I mean, a, a, a typical test, you're going to have, you know, some years, 15 skis across, you know, your carving skis, your frontside skis, your all-mountain skis, your all, you know, and now there's all-mountain freeride, all-mountain freestyle, all-mountain wide, you know, powder. So there is these categories. So, so then I was in a position where it's like, I obviously don't have enough entries to go into all the categories even. So I need to then look at the market and say, okay, the most important categories right now are, are, are all mountain. And maybe it's all mountain from, you know, 80 to 90 waste or 90 to hundred waste. And then I have to put my three eggs in that basket and hope that one of them performs well enough to show up in the magazine. So I, I, I fought for, for that to change, you know, that, you know, unfortunately at that time it was like, this outlet was forcing the small companies to stay small and the big companies to stay big. Cause at the time the, the vocals and the K twos of the world were entering 15 skis when I had three, you know, and then all of a sudden buyer's guides come out, friends, family, coworkers, dealers. Did you just not go to the ski test this year? What happened? (laughs) And you're like, you're embarrassed. And then you have to, you have to explain some of the, this behind the scenes that, that, you know, that nobody knows about. Um, and, you know, uh, to, to talk a little bit more, Jonathan, what you started with this, this testing over a couple days, um, which, you know, if you have crap conditions, that, that's going to be tough. Granted, everybody will at least will have the same conditions. But, you know, some of these guys and girls have to show up at this test and ski. They have a list of 22, 25 skis they have to ski in one day. And they're skiing one lap. One. Or switching out halfway down. Yeah, if it gets late in the day and, and they have the same boot sole length as one of the other testers, hey, I'll ski the top of the run, you ski the bottom of the run. Like, not a fair shake, you know? And again, for, for, for me at the time, you know, I'm physically at the test, at the bottom, in the corral. Certain media, you're not even allowed to talk to the testers. You're not supposed to have a beer with them later. You know, no talking shop, which, okay, I can understand trying to keep it neutral, but... The only thing you could ask is, how's the tune? You know, that was literally it. But they also didn't have a certain order that they had to ski skis. You know, so it's like, I show up, I'm Johnny Tester. I just so happen to be an ambassador for X brand. Okay, I'm going to get those skis out of the way because we got fresh snow. Everything's buffed out right now. So I'm going to go ski those skis. They ski them. Obviously, they skied well. The snow was great. It was first thing in the morning. You're fresh. Okay, so there was years where I'm standing at the bottom, literally asking testers to test my skis. Yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's two o'clock. And now everybody's looking at their list. Oh, shit. I still get to ski Fisher. I still get to ski Head. And they're coming to me at two o'clock. They're pounded. They've, they've, tested 18 skis which is bullshit which can we just pause real quick you can't do that like just for people who don't do this for a living and are like okay 18 skis like 
I couldn't listen to 18 songs in a day. If you wanted me to start asking about what are, you know, you cannot test 18 skis in a day, full stop. And I, I sometimes have heard this as like a point of pride from some people. Like I can tell what a ski does in four turns. Fuck you. No, you can't. That's such a <laughs> bullshit claim. That's such a bullshit claim. Like anybody who says that and is saying it as a bragging point, just like cross them off the list of people you should care about their opinion about anything. You don't know if yep. that's the tune. You don't know if that's the specific patch of snow that you just skied down. Like we just, I think what I want to do in this conversation is make sure we are helping people understand like, what should I be paying attention to? Right? So I just, that's why I wanted to pause you on that. 18 skis in one day, nothing meaningful can come from that. Agreed. Yeah. And that was, and, and again, this is, this is one of those factors um, that, that, that go into this. And listen, I understand part of it is a resource thing. You know, you can't, you can't have these guys, you know, all these people testing all these skis all year long. But in my opinion, there's a better way to do it. And, and first of all, you're doing it and you're proving that it works. Um, and I think a, a little bit, we took, we took a, a page out of your book, you know, kudos to you because George had been to ski tests. I'd been to a lot of ski tests and, and we realized what was working and what was not working, you know, and for, for a lot of years, at least with certain, certain magazines, the, the smaller, the smaller brands really struggled because a, they had less skis that they could enter. And then all of a sudden testers didn't necessarily have a draw to your brand. So, you know, that was another factor. And I mean, I literally had, I had it out one year with a magazine editor because we were having beers afterwards. And he's like, you know what Fisher's problem is, man? You guys just aren't cool. And dude, I lost it. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck yeah. does that have to do with yep. how my skis perform? That's right. Yep. I don't care what you think of yep. the brand in the back of your head. Yep. This is a ski test. Yep. And I know for a fact that the skis I put on snow are performing a lot better than a lot of these other brands. You know? That was his last year at the magazine, but good. Um, not, not necessarily because of me, but but those were those were kind of some of my struggles. And you know, to to mention another huge factor of this, you mentioned tune. Okay, so huge factor as far as as far as how a ski performs goes, and I think it, I I do think it's overlooked. Um, and again, pulling back the curtain, there's certain brands that would go into these ski tests and they'd be prepping their skis for four weeks leading up to ski tests. You know, I was in a position uh, where I was lucky full disclosure. If I had worked for another company, I might not have fought for this, but knowing the investment that, that Fisher had made into their finishing process and the amount of work that went into them finishing their skis before they get wrapped up and the quality control that they went through, I was really confident in the skis performing right out of the wrapper. Mind you, that's how a consumer buys them. That's right. Yep. When they're downstairs yep. at the ski monster or in any retail location and they walk in and they buy a pair of skis and they get pulled out of the wrapper and a binding gets put on it and they go hit the snow, it better fucking ski well. So that also in my mind was, I fought one year for, Hey, let's all show up and unwrap our skis, put them on snow and test them. You know, and they're, you know, absolutely not. 
Yeah. And that this is an interesting topic for us to just talk about for another minute. You know, this is exactly what we do at Blister. We pull stuff over the wrapper. We are normally, we pull stuff over the wrapper. We're mounting it with the the binding that we want to put on it. If we're talking about a touring ski or a 50-50 ski or a dedicated inbound ski. And then we just go see what it does. And then at that point, if we're like something feels off, something feels like it's not performing quite the way we want it to, that's when we will go in and start looking at tune stuff, um, yeah. you know, and adjust from there. And we have had, and and this is, this I put in the category of like reasonable potential disagreement. Um, you know, we've had a few people over the years be like, why don't you just go put a fresh tune the same tune on every single ski you get in. Give it a, a 2-1 or a 3-1, something like that. And I come back to what we're trying to do with our reviews at Blister is make the most useful review possible for a typical consumer. And so given that what you just said, Matt, the typical consumer isn't always going out and putting their favorite side bevel or, or base bevel on a ski, I don't want to do that either. We can always go back and adjust something if something feels off to us. And that's exactly what we do. And one last point on that, hopefully we have been able to educate our audience enough where, look, not every ski company does nail the tune, right? When you get it out of the wrapper. And if, if somebody gets on a ski and they're like, this thing sucks. I hated it. I couldn't make it turn at all. That ski is garbage. Hopefully we have maybe been able to educate people like that ski actually might not be garbage. That tune, you know, or that ski got warped as it's in a container coming overseas, right? Things can be done. And hopefully we have maybe helped people understand that it actually might not be the ski that's trash, but the tune might be trash and you can do something about that. So anyway, that's my take. I don't know if you have a response or if you agree with all of that or, you know, one thing that was interesting is like we were, um, there was, it was an Armada focused, um, ski day and we were part of that day was just getting some pictures on the hill. And I was on one of my favorite skis ever, the Armada Declivity 92. I love that ski. And the skis weren't out of the wrap, but they were, they were tuned, but they were tuned really badly. And I was hooking edges like crazy. I almost sent myself into the woods, season ending type falls. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, this is one I was super stoked about this day because I get to be on some of my favorite skis. That's always a plus. And conditions were really, they were fine. And it just got a bad tune. Not from Armada, not at the factory. Just what happened was bad. And if someone were to hop on that thing, like you just said, for the first time, they're going to think that was the worst ski ever. George is out of his mind. How can that ski be good? You know, but understanding, like you said, that that can be a thing, you know, because even like in the finishing process, Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, the, the, a ski will go over, you know, a stone and maybe it can handle going over that however many times. And then the last ski that went over before the stone gets redressed, you know, the last ski could be the worst of the bunch yep. potentially. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, every, every factory has a different, you know, finishing process and the amount of stones it hits, um, you know, and, and the hard part in developing skis is 
you know, if you, if you develop a ski that has, you know, more rocker than you've ever done, or, you know, some crazy shape, or you're, you're using some crazy new material that's never run through your finishing system before, all of a sudden, you know, your skis can be cupped or, you know, they can be railed or, but again, that's, that's part of, you know, the quality control. And, and again, you know, uh, that had happened at Fisher over the years with various products. It, it happens at, at every manufacturer. So, you know, I think George made a great point and you made the great point where tune can be such a big factor where if you're testing skis, not only one, two, three days, but one run, if that one ski had a crappy tune and all whatever, 15 testers tested it, dude, that, that ski's dead in the water. And all of a sudden, two years worth of work oh, for, for a yeah. brand is down the drain, which, which is crazy. So that was like, you know, the amount of weight that, and I think it's changed a little bit, but the amount of weight that was put on these buyer's guides has definitely been definitely been pulled back. I mean, obviously, some of these magazines aren't even around anymore. They're 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 gone, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, you know, endemic media is, is is definitely important, especially for skiing. But you know, I mean, we we had plenty of experiences where we set up a bunch of private brand days last year to test skis with with brands. So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to go to a demo again and we're going to test thirty skis. And we only have one or two days, so we got to take a one run on them. It's like, no, we're going to set up these brand days. So, sure, we did a day with Atomic, a day with Salmon, a day with Armada, blah, blah, blah. And then we also, we have a huge test fleet, which is great. You know, I mean, these guys left us with skis. That way, somebody, we're appointment only, has a day off or two or three or four people have a day off. We would go not only create content, but some of our best days were, you know what, Let's take out the 90 to 100 wasted all mountain skis today. Let's take out a ripstick black. Let's take out a bonafide. Let's take out the new M6. Let's take out, you know, and do these shootouts with these categories of skis. And then it was like, holy shit. Yeah. Now we're really getting to feel not only the difference of these skis that are all within the same category. And okay, this one has two sheets of metal. This one has no metal. This one you know, whatever has cutouts in the metal and this one's more damp, but being able to ski those a more than one day, more than one run back to back was insane for us, you know? And again, just talking about that tune, I mean, we did, we did receive skis from manufacturers that, you know, it was great. They said, Hey, we know you guys are doing a ton of testing. We're going to send you these early heads up. We're not quite confident in the tune. So go ski them. And then just what you said, Jonathan, all of a sudden, after we had gone through our fleet of skis and said, you know what? Okay. Some of these skis are railed. Some of them are cupped. So then George said, okay, let's get all the skis back. We'll get them downstairs. We'll get all the free ride skis, whatever. We're doing a two and one, all the front side skis. We'll do a three and one, a little bit more aggressive. Um, and then honestly, by three quarters of the way through the season, all these categories were tuned exactly the same. And some of the people, like you said, that might have got on it the first time and said, man, I, how did you guys like that declivity? Like, I couldn't turn. And then it was like, okay, the great part about not just skiing at one run one day, now you get two, three, four more days on this through hard pack, powder, spring snow. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you guys were right. Now I'm feeling what you were talking about. Yep. Yep. 100%. 
And, uh, you know, another cool thing to go back to that I thought was so cool at that first uh, focus group, sorry to be stepping away from the tune thing for a second. I didn't understand that when I was going into that thing, like we're going to be testing these new prototypes. That, that was, uh, that was pro mountain and ranger, yep. I think. Yep. And so there's all these, you know, um, white top sheet skis, goofy German, um, writing on them. And you're supposed to remember if it's like a one, a two B whatever. And, um, do that on your note card, but you're also testing that against, you know, Solomon vocal blizzard, Nordica, whatever. And I thought that was so badass that a brand was also was not living in a, in echo chamber. Like, no, we're only going to ski our own stuff. They were open-minded enough. Like what else is out there? This is what's happening. How does this compete? And you guys at this group, what do you think of this? Um, I mean, that was just that was super cool. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, you have to have those benchmarks, not, not that you're, not that you're going out and, and copying them, but you, you need to have some benchmarks, some categories, you know? And I think, um, you know, for us, the last couple of years have been really surprised by, by the Elan ripsticks, you know, and, and for us, those, those have become one of our, one of our benchmarks within all of our testing. And it's not to, to go out and compare everything to an Elan ripstick because it's, it's quite a bit different than a lot of skis in that category, you know, but I think it is important, especially, you know, for us and for the employees to go ski these head to head and spend, you know, multiple days on them where you're skiing, you know, five, six skis within a category that eventually will get decided on what ends up in the store, you know? And it has nothing to do with a personal relationship with a rep. It's it's purely based on, you know, these guys, even before I was here, were very honed in on who their target customer is, you know. And um, that's only been accentuated the, the last couple of years with the amount of testing we've done. So I, I think, just like George said, it, it allows everybody at the store to speak so much more educated about not not only a couple products that they might have tested, but how it how it compares and feels versus something else. And um, one thing that's made our testing much more effective, I feel, as we've grown and have all these different departments from people that you know are in shipping and receiving, uh, host hosts at the front desk, whatever customer service. We have so many skiers that are from varying abilities. And what's really fun on those massive test days where we have more people is watching skiers come down and seeing what they look more confident on, what they look more balanced on, and how often it's really the same thing regardless of ability. You have someone that's, you know, a recreational intermediate, and then you have someone that absolutely shreds. And when they pick the same skis as their favorite, and they never communicate it on a chairlift, and you can also... You know, I talked a little bit about the bias and people being nervous, which some of the new employees definitely are, but you're watching them ski and you know, like, dude, you, they crushed that run. I mean, that's it, it. I think we talked about this the last time, but good skis are good skis, man. And no matter your ability. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously when you're getting up into these really difficult, you know, stiff two sheets of metal skis, sometimes obviously, you know, a, a beginner intermediate isn't going to have as good of a time, but just like George said, I mean, what we've seen the last couple of years is 
a lot of the time, the stronger skiers, expert skiers are finding common ground in the same products, which is, which is really cool. And that's, you know, again, a, a big part of, you know, majority of the people buying these skis aren't necessarily the greatest skiers and they didn't grow up racing or, or, or they're, they're literally new to skiing. The last couple of years, we've seen a huge influx of, of new skiers to the sport, which is amazing. Um, but you know, having a diverse ability, you know, within our test group is, is huge too, because again, not to harp on these, you know, magazines, but none of those testers are intermediate skiers, you know, they're all strong skiers. Um, and you know, I've also experienced some of some really strong skiers who are not great testers, you know, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. And I, I'd like to, I'd like to jump in on that. I mean, for over a decade, we've had thousands of people hit us up, right? And they're like, we really like what you're doing at Blister. I'd love to review for you. And then often they like kind of give their background or their CV. And it's like, holy hell, like you're wildly impressive. Like, you know, like your chops as a ski mountaineer or as a former racer, like these are high level people. And you know, often it's like, okay, well, submit a sample review. And what I have come to learn over the years, over a decade of having this happen, I often just tell people, I find almost zero correlation between how well somebody skis or rides a mountain bike and how well they are able to articulate the nuances of what a product does or doesn't do. And it is far more important to us the latter part, right? Like if I don't, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, a 10 time Olympic gold medal winner, but if you can't articulate the nuances of what this product does and doesn't do. And another thing that we talk about is like, you can't be a solipsistic reviewer, right? Like no one should actually care what I think about a given product unless you're me, right? So what I say to our people is, I need you to be able to like imagine 50,000 people from all around the world and all ability levels are going to be reading this product review. Are you able to give those 50,000 people enough information to give them a good sense of, wow, this is a product that really, really ought to be on my radar, or this is a product that I can pretty safely rule out, right? That's kind of what we're trying to do. And then if somebody wants to get even more specific, like, well, then become a Blister member, send us an email, and we can really, really dial in on the best, you know, one or two products, whether it's a boot, whether it's a ski, whatever. But but to your point, like, yeah, this, you know, and, and it's funny, we sometimes get criticized both ways, like with sometimes like you guys don't know how to fucking carve a ski. We'll hear that (laughs) literally, literally. And then we'll hear like, you guys are way too good skiers for your reviews to be relevant to me. And it's like, no, we're actually good reviewers who are able to think through what would this particular product be like for a new skier or a low intermediate or an expert skier. That's what actually matters. And what I've found over 10 years is that is an extremely rare, weird skill. 
Yeah. That ability to articulate the nuances of what the product does or doesn't do. It is way easier to find a ripping skier or mountain biker than to find that weird skill set thing. I don't I don't know how that if if that jives with you or seems consistent with your experience, but that's what we found around here. Well, I mean, like, it, it, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Like, um, uh, Joe, one of the guys here, he's a, he's a okay to good skier. And he would, I think he would classify himself the same way. And it is unbelievable skiing with him, what he can um, articulate. articulate, like in even really aggressive skis that he's not getting everything out of. And you're like, holy shit, that's really, that's super impressive. So it, yeah, it, he's got that weird skill that you were talking about, man. And it, and it's and it's great knowing that you know again having that diverse test group where it's like jo- Joe's a great example where throughout the test season there was there was plenty of skis where he was just like this is just I don't enjoy being on this this is too much ski yeah but he could he could tell you yep. why it was too much ski yep and I mean. I, just like you said, Jonathan, I mean, just because you're a badass skier doesn't mean you're a great reviewer. I mean, I I dealt with, you know, as George knows, you, you very often bring some of your athletes to these focus groups, you know, and then there's, there's also a million internal focus groups after, you know, then you got to discern the information that you just got from all these dealers from around the country, um, who all have, you know, very different businesses, and then figure out what direction to go, you know, and, you know, I think every brand is, is, is guilty of it, you know, Fisher included where, you know, we're, we're building these skis in conjunction with our athletes, which is great, but very often, you know, I'll give it to Fisher. We always included our athletes, but afterwards we would have these internal discussions and it's like, Great. Here's the feedback from each of these athletes. We know what kind of skiers they are. We know where they're strong. We know what kind of skis they like. None of these people buy skis. None of them. They don't go to a retailer and buy skis. So at the end of the day, absolutely, we use some of their feedback, especially in the the more quote-unquote sports marketing skis. That 122-wasted badass powder ski that is in your print ad and in TGR and whatever. Absolutely. They should be, you know, the skis are designed for them because you're not selling many of them. But when it comes to the, the, the commercial line of skis that is on every retailer's wall, it, sure. Include a little athlete of feedback, but again, at the end of the day, they're getting free skis and yeah, a lot of them are great skiers, but just like George said, a lot of them couldn't tell you what they are feeling. They're just like, okay, which, which prototype did you like? And, you know, uh, in their head also, they're like, okay, I'm getting paid by this company. I've been an athlete for X amount of years. And then all of a sudden they're like, honestly, dude, all of them were good. And you're like, no, no. One of these is bad to, for a reason. One of them is, you know, is good. And one of them internally we think is pretty close to done you know so tell me which one of these you really liked you know and and again depending on who it was some people just have a better feel of what the ski is doing and you know and then others if you look at them and 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 you say 
hey, d- was that ski too damp? They're like, what, I don't, what, what does a damp ski feel like? And you're like, okay, you're a badass skier. You're a shitty reviewer and tester. Yeah, and there should be no surprise about that, right? But And like I sometimes think like I'll use the analogy sometimes like when it comes to coaches. Like, I don't know, let's take the NFL. We got Bill Belichick. Some people would say this is maybe the greatest NFL coach of all time. Do we also therefore assume he was the greatest football player of all time? Like we don't we don't do it, right? We're not we're not like, oh, well Michael Jordan maybe was the best ever, so he's probably the best he would be the best coach of all time. Like I don't think we make that category mistake, but we do make this category mistake when it comes to oh, you shred that must mean you are absolutely an amazing product reviewer. And again, yeah. in my experience, having sorted through too many thousands of sample reviews to count, I've found almost no correlation here. It is a weird surprise when we find somebody that's like, whoa, you have that. It's almost like a palette, right? Like I, yeah. I, I sometimes think the, the more accurate analogy is to think about like... I, we're sommeliers, right? Like it actually isn't about what is objectively the best ski out there or the best boot. A good sommelier is like, who are you? You know, who are you, Matt? And what do we think is going to sort of be most up your particular alley? That's what we're kind of trying to do here. And um, it's just a weird, it's a weird skill. It's just weird. Doesn't make you cool. Makes you probably weird, actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you know, it, the, the boot thing is a whole different podcast, but the boot testing is even is even more difficult, you know, and, and developing boots is even more difficult, you know. Um, but but you're right. I mean, you know, millimeters in boots are miles, you know, so th- that's that's another whole thing that, you know, George is also a part of in developing certain boots. And, you know, again, you you might dial in the shell. And then all of a sudden you're testing five different liners. What what was so crazy to me at like the first um uh what what boot was that? I think it was a it was a Fisher Curve uh 130, 140, I think. And it was at that same uh focus group in Park City where I had the issue with the 188 Ranger 108. And um so I went through that experience. Now we're talking about boots the next day put the boot on. I'm the first person to put the boot on. And, you know, the boot engineer is looking at me like, so, um, what's this flex feel like? And, you know, I'm at room temperature. I'm nervous. People are staring at me. I've had too much coffee. I'm like, um, if this is a 130, it feels soft. And he's like, it feels a little soft for 130. And then, He's like, and then looks back at, you know, one of the other guys He's like, so we should, if this feels soft, let's see what other people think. We might have to stiffen this boot up a little bit where it's so much more off of feel. You know, I think when people are thinking that ski boots are being created, they think it's so much more scientific how they come up with a flex index. And it's really just, does this feel like a 130? Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah, we nailed it. All right, good. And there's, and you know, another thing that probably not a lot of people know, I mean, there's no... There's no standard in in the ski boot industry for, for flexes. So a Fisher 130 is going to feel different than a Lang, and it's going to feel different than an Atomic. And, 
you know, the, the differences in, in plastics nowadays is insane. And obviously wall thickness. And I mean, again, whole nother podcast, but all one thirties are not created equal. Just like all 100 millimeter lasted boots are not created equal. You know, it again goes circles right back to, to gear testing, you know? And it's like, if, if we didn't shove our feet in as many boots as we possibly could throughout the year and ski them, you know, you're, you're not going to know when the, when the customer walks in the door, you know, you're not even going to know where to start. Well, not only that with like ski boots for us, like we, you know, we do here in Boston, we do about 4,000 ski boots a year and you get the feedback of their review. So you, you, you're in these mini focus groups every single day and you know, as the boot fitter, damn well, how something fits based upon not only what you've done, but this sample set of the people that you've fit for boots. Um, yeah, I mean, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, once again, appreciate the conversation. And I think hopefully we have pulled back the curtain a little bit on this whole world of gear testing. And and I think it's cool that people now have a ought to have a pretty good handle on what you are doing at the ski monster and how you're going about this whole thing. And that's all good information on both of those fronts. So, um, and now people can go to the website, right? Skimonster.com and read some of these product reviews, uh, you know, from the testing that you guys have been doing, or they can set up an appointment and come in to the shop and chop it up with you in person. Right. Does that sound about right? Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Um, good luck this season. And, uh, It'd be fun to link up. I don't know if we're going to get you out this way or maybe I'll get out that way. Both maybe around the both. T- maybe both. Yeah, we should um we should talk about this more, but that would be really fun and uh be good to make some turns this year. 100% man, let's do it. Awesome. We could test some beers too. Test some beers. <laughs> you know, we have been getting into the beer testing game just a little bit. And um yeah, I'm I'm not at all opposed to uh continuing to walk down that road, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. congrats with everything you've been doing good luck on uh you know stuff going forward and look forward to linking up the next time thanks jonathan thanks jonathan okay it is now thursday november 25th at 805 p.m mountain time it is the evening of thanksgiving i have in my hand a glass of Whistlepig 15 year old rye huge fan of it as you know and i've got a couple things that i am thankful for on this day um yes there is all the standard stuff where i am incredibly grateful for my amazing friends and my family cheers to all of you i am thankful for our blister team you all are the best thank you for putting up with me um but here's a few more specific things um As I mentioned at the top of this episode, we are back riding chairlifts and carving turns again here in Crested Butte. I could not be happier about that, and I'm feeling very grateful. Another thing, Cody Townsend told me this week that he has actually started watching Friday Night Lights. Now, if you've listened to our Reviewing the News podcasts, you know I've been pushing him to do this. You know I've been mad at him that he has refused to start this show. Well, he has started. And we have an upcoming Reviewing the News episode. And of course, we're going to get his initial take of the show. And I really hope he likes it because it's going to make me very sad if he doesn't. Anyway, 
stay tuned. Last thing, today, uh, Thanksgiving, you know, I recorded a conversation with Marcus Kasten where we talk about his Return of the Turn series and more. And there have been so many of you who have written in to say that you wanted us to have Marcus on the Blister podcast or probably any of our podcasts. So, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving to you. And you should subscribe to the Blister podcast if you haven't done so already, because then... As soon as that conversation goes up into the feed on Monday, this coming Monday, you're going to have it and you're going to get to hear from Marcus. And turns out the guy's not only a sick freaking skier, he's hilarious. So you are not going to want to miss that one. And I don't know, I just, it's always fun connecting with good people and doing unconventional things on Thanksgiving, I think. So cheers to Marcus. And that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to George and Matt for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday with the great Marcus Kasten over on our Blister podcast. Take care, everybody.